Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. In the minds of many rock fans, Duff McKagan will forever be known first and foremost as the bassist of Guns N' Roses. The band's white-hot reign in the late 80s through the early 90s is the stuff of hedonistic hard rock legend. And for anyone interested in reading a detailed account of that wild ride, maybe the last in all of rock, check out Duff's memoir, It's So Easy and Other Lies. After turning 30, Duff got sober, eventually left GNR, and then went on to play stints in Alice in Chains and Jane's Addiction, and helped form the supergroup Velvet Revolver. Duff also enrolled in college while writing columns for the Seattle Weekly, Playboy, and ESPN on everything from personal finance to sports. In 2016, he rejoined Guns N' Roses following their induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Outside of his contribution to big-name rock bands and personal finance columns, Duff has also been releasing solo material since the early 90s. His latest album, Lighthouse, signals a new musical direction for Duff, one that focuses on reflective personal lyrics and stripped-down rootsy rock. On today's episode, Leah Rose talks to Duff McKagan about his decision to leave the heroin-infested punk rock scene in his hometown of Seattle for Los Angeles. He also shares stories about Axl Rose and Slash while recording Appetite for Destruction. And he reminisces about the time his musical idol Prince was trying to get Duff to reveal the real reason why Guns N' Roses broke up. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Leah Rose's conversation with Duff McKagan. I want to talk a little bit about your latest album, Lighthouse. 
And since it's been out for a little while now and you're over sort of like the initial wave of releasing it, you've had a chance to see how it's living in the world. What has the reception been? You know, because I'm not touring it yet, and the record came out while I was... We had extended the, the Guns N' Roses tour, but we already had like a release date for my record and we couldn't push it back. So we were supposed to end the Guns tour. Three days later, my record would come out. I would be free and open to do, you know, press or for the things that you got to do. But we extended our tour. So I was in Boise, Idaho, the day my record came out. It was like having a birthday. I got a cake and my wife sent me flowers and I'm in the, you know, this hotel room in Boise and it feels like my birthday, but I'm by myself and you can't really <laughs> tell how like, okay, it's out. What's Woo-hoo! this? Me? Hey, hey, <laughs> so, you know, record reviews are already come out some pre previews of the record. So, and then, then reviews. And then, you know, I don't really look at comments on social media. It's not really my, my bag. It's, uh, I have a story why that is, but you know. Is it because it, they don't feel constructive or they don't make you feel good or they're just from random people and who cares what they think? Um, I don't think anybody's really random. I, don't, I, I, you know, I think everybody's got an amazing story. I really do. Cause I've just met so many people in an elevator or yeah. whatever, you know, yeah. you get in an elevator and you think you're, you're the king of the mountain and then you hear some story in the elevator and like, I'm not even the most interesting person in this elevator, you know? Um, So, no, um, back in Velvet Revolver days, you know, when like the fan forums and stuff were just getting started. And I would look, we had a site and there was a fan forum and I would look and there was this one guy and he had had, like a screen name and he would say things like we were right on. Like the guy knew about Hmm. music, knew about what we were doing, but then he would be critical Hmm about something, you know, he was kind of right about that. And then I would live and I would wait for this guy to like post something. And I would kind of rise and fall a little bit and not extremely so, but I got caught up in what this guy was saying. And I was doing a, we played some gig in Europe, like a festival, and we were doing a signing at the festival. And this kid comes up to me and he's like 15 years old. And I signed something for him. He's like this kind of, you know, Star Trek kind of kid. I know him. We're friends to this, to now. And he said, he says the screen name. He goes, I'm him. I'm like, how old are you? Because I'm 15. I'm like, okay. So I'm done with this. I was like a 40 year old man. You know, I'm like, what am I doing? But it was all when it was new, you know. So my point is like when I, something happens with me, I, I, gig at Hyde Park or a lighthouse record comes out and I'm really proud of it and blah and I know how I feel about it and I know what I went through to get those songs out and and lyrically what I went through to you know carve those words and throw out words and rewrite it again and you know the music's just being you know the perfect like little synthesizer sound there and all this stuff and the drum sounds and the things you go through probably pretty obvious you know i'm not trying to make commercial pop hits i'm trying to make things that are important to me and hopefully important to other people you know so when that comes out 
I'm not going to read social media comments. And I won't even look for reviews. My manager will send me stuff. He knows I don't like to read reviews, really, because, again, I just like things to sit there. I know when I go out, like when I'm out and tour Tenderness, mm -hmm. the record before this, same sort of record, same sort of, like, vocal, uh, uh, lyric, in the same area, you know, of kind of healing and, and uh, togetherness and... I know how that works with an audience, and it's it's kind of really amazing. Yeah. You know, you can see people crying and stuff. You know, like wow. it really hits. It happens in guns. It happens in bands that play in that that sense of togetherness for sure. But this oh, is yeah. a bit more personal for me. So the record, the, the reaction's been great. Like the reviews, and the, this record's done a lot better sales wise than tenderness. I'm, which means I'm growing. As a mm -hmm. this kind of new solo artist uh, area I'm going into, acoustic yep. driven and and uh, something I wanted to do since I played on Mark Lanigan's Field Songs in 1997. Like this is what I you know I want to aim for this. And so other than that, I'm gonna get some tour dates together for for the fall somewhere. Cool. And then is um, Guns N' Roses going back out on tour this are, year as well? We are taking this year off. Okay. Yes, we played so many shows in the last like whatever eight years that we, we need to <laughs> we need to give the world a break and we you know we play long shows too so we all need a, like a like a physical break we play those That's three right. and a half hour shows and kicks one's ass. How do you prepare for those three and a half hour shows? What are you doing the day of the performance? I mean. I could give you really literal, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know. What's the morning routine? What are you eating? Yeah, yeah. Co well, lemon water, coffee, lemon water again, banana. Then I go to the gym. I'll do ca cardio and then stretch and then do some sort of like, you know, push-ups or, you know, like an hour in the gym. Okay. Ending again with a stretch. And then shower, eat like a really healthy lunch, which is whatever I can find. But usually just some greens with chicken. No carbs. No, no. Uh -uh. The, the show's very cardio driven. You know, you're yeah. running around, so you can't have a full stomach. I'll have some snacks yeah. up on stage, like uh, protein bars or something. A lot of electrolytes. Uh-huh. And then afterwards, I'll eat a pretty massive dinner. <laughs> awesome. You know, pretty massive. Uh, shepherd's pie and, you know, or, or lasagna or whatever the catering's got. Uh-huh. Try not to do fish because it's kind of late, you know, and the catering's been closed down for a couple hours. Oh, So okay, we're getting yeah. food that's kind of been sitting there. It's all right. I'm just totally used to it. It's just fuel at that point. You know, and, and after a show, I ice my legs. And, like soak them in an ice bath? Yeah, buckets. Yeah. Wow. Is that because you've been standing for so long? I, it's, I have to do like, yeah, therapy, like massage guns and, and ice. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's cool. a very athletic, you know, uh, feat. You get to go out on stage and be an artist and, and play your thing and have all that feeling and stuff. But in that, it's all athletic. You know, you have to think like an athlete, you know, running across stage and then hitting a falsetto backing vocal you have to be fit you can't 
You can't just like sit in a hotel room, then go do a right. gig, and then go sit in a There's no, I don't, I mean, I suppose you could, but it would be really bad for you. It's funny, like sometimes you hear about like certain golfers who have like no athletic regime at all. And they just sort of like there's one golfer who's famous and he like drinks like five beers and then he goes. He's like one of the best golfers of all time. Right. And then you hear about like Tiger Woods, who's like, you know, yeah, just like a relentless trainer exerciser. And he's like so smart about what he's putting in his body and everything. I know like Robin Zander from Cheap Trick, you know, he's. I don't know how old he is, 70 blank, you know? Yeah. He, he's he got one of the most amazing rock and roll voices there ever was. He smokes cigarettes and has a glass of wine, doesn't warm up, nothing, hits, goes on wow. stage. He's one of those wow. guys within the industry. It's like, not everybody's Robin Zander, you know? Like, yeah. he's just gifted, you know? Yeah, some people are just built different. <laughs> built differently. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, cool. that's my re- regime. It's kind of nerdy and it's kind of it's athletic, but it's it's what I got. I'm serious about what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it sounds really smart. And then how do you come down from the adrenaline? Like, do you even get like a big influx of adrenaline at this point? Or are you sort of used to it? No, I get nervous and adrenaline every night. I do a little like a, a meditation before... Like when I get up on the stage, we have about 10 minutes and I do a little thing before every gig just to calm everything down, chill, take it in. But I think for me, uh, after show coming down from it, my body's used to like, okay, now we've got to shut down. You know, you're going to feed yourself and you're going to shut down. You're going to be reading your book in about 45 minutes as soon as you get back, get back to your room. So I eat and ice at the, at the venue. And then I'm in my bed. Sometimes I go straight off the stage to the hotels. It depends on the traffic of the, the venue. They kind of tell you, you got to go. Yeah. So no, nobody's hanging out after. There's no like... Sometimes we don't. Unless you want to hang for a couple hours and let all that traffic go. So, and some people do right. that. You can do that. But I, I, you know, sometimes I get straight back. I'm reading my book 45 <laughs> minutes to, a, to an hour after I, we get off stage. I saw Iggy Pop is on a song on the the title track. It's, right. So how was it recording with Iggy? Did you guys do that together in person? Well, no. So I, you know, Iggy's like, there's like three for me. You know, it's Prince, it's Lemmy, and it's Iggy. You know, and Iggy's still with us. And it's always been like that since I discovered the Stooges at 12 through my old, the older punk rock kids, you know. So I got I've I got to play on and write some music on his last record, a song called Frenzy, a few more songs, mm-hmm. and that was just like, oh. and then he's like, can you, me and Chad from Chili Peppers and, and Andrew Watt, and will you guys be my band for these these five shows? Like, yes, we will be here, and you can pick the set list. Holy shit. Wow. Okay. So it's like old Stooges stuff you could pick? We just picked whatever. We put songs from the new record, of course, but we, yeah, we picked some killer shit, oh, you know, wow. and we made a set list and he was like, cool, cool. And we got uh, Jamie from The Kills to play the other guitar. And, uh, Matt Clifford, he plays with the Stones. He played the keys, like nightclubbing and all that stuff. And a really kick-ass band. We rehearsed. We all had it down before we went to rehearsal, you know, I was like. I'm not going to not know what I'm doing. And we wanted to be the best Iggy band he'd ever had. And there was probably 
couple moments on a couple of those stages we were it it was slamming but uh so we did that and 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 did the did the shows and in that uh, you know Iggy knew I was making a record and uh he just kind of wanted to return the favor it was very sweet and he did it he just read the lyrics from Lighthouse so cool we so we had like five of like him reading it five different ways you know, I had the studio in Seattle. You get your speakers and you put it in, and there's the voice of fucking God. <laughs> you know, and then we put music, we put kind of a, a different version of Lighthouse, the song, behind his spoken word thing. And, and that's how that happened. What about Prince? Did you ever get to meet Prince or play with Prince? I never wanted to play with Prince because I've heard like he just, because he's better than everybody at everything, you know. I met him, yes, I met him one time. I was way too drunk is when I was still drinking. And I realized I was too drunk when it was in Germany. I went, it was the Diamonds and Pearls tour. Oh, wow. Guns N' Roses were playing the, you know, the whatever stadium the next night. And he was playing the arena. And I went, went into the back, you know, Guns N' Roses guy, all that stuff, right? Got to get him through the back and blah, blah, blah. And he heard I was there and would like to talk to him. He knew I was a fan. And I went back and, and I just, I was realized I was too drunk. Oh. Yeah. So, fuck, you know. And and that, I don't remember what happened. I remember there's like candles and stuff and I'm, like, I'm fucking too drunk. And there's, you know, Prince and I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And uh got out of that one. But so, you know, uh, and then I, there was um, a documentary that I was part of. I don't think it ever came out. It was a bass player's documentary that he was doing. Oh, wow. And they, some, some producer called me, Prince is doing this documentary. Can you, can we go through your basses and just talk about bass playing? Prince is doing it? Sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. So these guys came to my house and I had my basses out and things and I dressed up a little bit, you know, and. Getting texts, questions. They're from Prince. Wow. In real time. Like, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, what did he ask you about your playing? Yeah, yeah. how did you come up with that thing at the beginning of Sweet Child of Mine? Like, yeah, great question. But then but then they started getting like, why did Guns N' Roses break up? <laughs> he was asking questions like anybody else would ask at that time. And right. I'm like, I, I, we don't get into that, you know? <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. not something we talk about. Prince wants the tea. He wants the tea. No, he wanted yep. tea. It was a bunch of other stuff. Like, yeah, it was very, very kind of sweet. And, you know, it was on Larry Graham. It was like a ode to Larry Graham, this, this documentary. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was watching old, you know, interviews throughout the years, dating all the way back from early gun stuff, through Velvet Revolver, through now. And there was an old interview that you did with Kurt Loder in Paris and Lenny Kravitz was in the room. Okay. And then Lenny comes and sits down with you. Do you remember that? No. I remember being in Paris and we did that pay-per-view and Lenny was that Lenny yeah. was our you know, that first record. Like we I'm still buddies with him. But you know, he yeah. was like Slash's friend who went to the same same high school, middle school together. Right. Who like right. made this killer record and like, whoa you know, the, that was like the record of the summer for us, his first record. For you and Slash. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you're talking about that, and I guess the night before you had played with Jeff Beck and with Aerosmith. Oh, was it the so was the interview the day after that that gig? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Lenny Kravitz, we did Mama Set. Uh, we had special guests, and we had uh, Joe and Stephen Aerosmith. Yeah. We did Train Kept It Rolling, and maybe Mama Can or something. Yeah, Jeff Beck yeah. was supposed to play. We did a sound check like the day before. And it was so loud. He has tinnitus. He had oh. tinnitus. And right. it fucked him up. Oh. Um, so he couldn't do the gig. Oh, man. Yeah. And we felt so guilty. Like, we were too loud. But to see, you know, like, I, I can't really watch that stuff because I see yeah. a really sad guy. You know, I see a guy who couldn't get himself out of it. You know, yeah. I had tried to stop. I had done, you know. So what I see is like kind of a... a, a and I'm the same me as then, you know, yeah. like you don't change, but I yeah. was, I'm stuck in this, in this wet court cardboard box. I couldn't punch my way out of, you know, to have to drink first thing when you wake up, when you sleep, that is like those times that you sleep. It's not, you know, like now I go to bed, like after we play show, <laughs> I'm in bed an hour yeah. later and, and, uh, it's been that way. I've been sober a long time, you know, but yeah, it's, it's hard for me to see. Like there was, you can see like sure. fun drunk, like in the late eighties. Then you see it yeah. turn, and you know you see the bloat, you see the you look hair falling out and shit. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You seemed a little puffy, but you were very sweet and you were very nice and you seemed happy. But I just think it's interesting when you you told the Prince story that you had the self awareness of like uh-uh, I'm too drunk to be in this situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. I was never a blackout drunk, you know, I was never a mean drunk. I was never like any of that stuff, but I, and I was aware, I w- an aware drunk, like I'm too, yeah. drunk. like how, suddenly I got too drunk. I started drinking too early today. I, my tolerance was, was through the roof, you know, so, but yeah. that was one of those times where I was, uh-oh. I can't form a sentence. We'll be back with more of Leah Rose's conversation with Duff McKagan after this quick break. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. 
You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We're back with Leah Rose and Duff McKagan. I watched your documentary, It's So Easy and Other Lies, and which was incredible. I love the music and the renditions of the songs that you guys played. The pedal steel was beautiful. Wasn't it nice? It was, it was gorgeous. Yeah. It was really, really moving. It was really great. And I'm listening to the audiobook. Okay. Also really great. I was curious, though, in... The very start of the book, I think it's chapter one, maybe it's chapter two. You talk about how when Guns N' Roses went on the Use Your Illusion tour, you traveled in a in an airplane. Yeah. Like not like a private jet, but a like commercial airplane. Yeah. And early on, you and Slash christened the airplane by smoking crack. And this is in like chapter two. Yeah, yeah. So I was just curious, why did you decide to put that, the hard drug use so soon in the book? Well, now, I start that book. There there was a million different ways you could write that book. And I had written so many pieces that became that book for for the weekly. Because, you know, when you're writing so much. I was writing for the weekly. I was writing for Playboy, financial columns. I was writing for ESPN. I, I was writing all this stuff. So... What, that kind of creativity, just like songwriting. Yeah. You're a writer. So you know this. Yeah. Writing, you write 2,000 words, that that begets more, oh, shit, I should write about this. And so I was writing tons of stuff. My Word document was just full of documents. I'd kind of yeah. name them, like songs, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of this became like, uh, that's I can't put that out in the Seattle Weekly. It's too personal and it's too, like, come out of no- left field, you know? And Tim Moore, who was my editor at Playboy, I asked him to edit my book, which was not write it. I had all these pieces. Can you look at all these pieces? And and it helped me, you know? And he would mm-hmm. go, okay, you know, document six, paragraph four. What did that look like and feel like? He was like a professor. So I'm yeah. like, I don't know, man. Okay, well, neither does anybody else. So why don't you write about what that, <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. then he came to Seattle. We had all, and we printed out all the documents. And we like, how are we going to put this together? Like arranging yeah. a song. You know, you could write it like, I'm in the hospital bed. And I'm thinking back about my you know, life and what I'm going to do for You could go there and start it that way. But doesn't every, like, it's just so typical. So right. I, I decided there was that thing with my, my daughter's birthday. And I'm walking around and kids, you know, like making sure like nothing's going on and blah, blah, blah. And there's these this little kids, they're, they're kissing around the corner. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? And that was a great yeah. vehicle for me to get, what was I doing at that age? How hard should I be on them? You know, because by that age, 
I was doing this, that, and the other. And before that, in sixth grade, I was doing this. So I kind yeah. of bring in the drugs and stuff pretty instantly. Surrounded by yeah. the story of my daughter's 16th birthday party. So then that, that gave me the accessibility, I think, to go in and, you know, <laughs> bring the crack in and Anna. Because that's like one of the dumbest stories there ever was, you know, before <laughs> the plane even took off. It had these, this plane, it was, it was a big regular plane, but in the back yeah. it had like these four kind of like suites. They had couches and a, and a curtain, you know, and uh, we went, immediately we get on the plane, we got our shit. You got to get rid of it before you land wherever we were going to. Okay. So you got to smoke it. We just started right away. And like, this is the most ridiculous thing. We're smoking crack and playing before it right, sitting at LAX. So you thought it was ridiculous at the time? Pretty much. Yeah, I knew this was ridiculous, but uh, let's go on ahead because we do a lot of ridiculous stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> do you have to like clear that with Slash or is that it's just whatever at this point? Yeah, yeah. I talked to people you know and i really didn't want to write a tell-all in, in any way yeah. you know there's plenty of tea and i, I just thought of myself as a you know i was a writer at that point and i wanted to really yeah. explore uh try to you know i was reading cormac mccarthy the whole time i was writing interesting which is a high benchmark of how i like to read and i, I really love that hard like chopping uh, cadence he's got and you know economy and and oh, I, yeah. i'll never be him I mean, ever but to read it's like listen to good music while you're writing you, you know yeah. you're not going to copy it but you're surrounded by good you know yeah you're you, it's in the ether it's in the ether and i and i you know i tried to do my the best i could at, at writing an interesting book without spilling all, you know, that's kind of, I felt that was a little below what, you know, I'm a dad. You know, they're going to read it one day. I'm going to tell them about my drug use when they turn 15 anyhow, because you got half my DNA. Sorry, but we're going to talk about it. Yeah. And we, which we did. So, the you know, they, they, and they, they saw stuff on YouTube. You know, it's like you can't hide that dad was a, you know heavy user of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I imagine when you're getting ready to write the book and you're thinking about how, you know, putting the puzzle together when you're working with your editor, how salacious do you go? You know, there's probably a certain side of you that knows some people want just like the sex, drugs, and rock and roll story. But the story with guns is just so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than, yeah. And I didn't, you know, in the book, I didn't talk about sex at all. You know, you hear stories of, I think it's more like business guys and Wall Street guys who are into <laughs> that stuff, you know, that yeah. wasn't a thing. Like, especially, you wouldn't write about it. Like, come on. Right. So, but Guns was, was a lot deeper than that. And it was really a story of five guys who found each other. Like, oh, we finally got the right, the perfect guys and, and be able to, like, write those songs together, figure it out. We figured it out. And then nobody saw the world, what happened to us around us like we did. Nobody. Right. So there's nobody else you can really talk to who experienced all of like the plane to two people and three people and the yeah. nine and then, you know, the packing clubs and 
then nobody else liked you in the rest of the world. You know, you go out with Iron Maiden and people, you know, call you all the stuff, you know. When did you guys go out with Iron Maiden? Was that after Appetite? Yes, we went out. So we went out with the Colt, which was great for us. Came across Canada, down the West Coast, then across over to New Orleans. We did our own little tours, like of the Southwest. We did the club tour of the U.S. We went to Europe and played clubs in Germany and stuff. But we England, we were picking up. Yeah. We had put the EP out. and it, it had, So we'd already played the marquee in London. So we started really kind of picking up in, in England. and But then you could come back and play, you know, some... We started to pick up in the Northeast, Boston and New York. You know, you knew like when a cop like said, hey, Guns N' Roses, you know, you're walking down the street. This cop knows who I am, you know, wow. Wow. You know, that's (laughs) like, that's like you're getting into the meat and potatoes of humankind. It must be interesting to see like who it was first resonating with. Like like construction workers, cops. But to see, you know, like for us to, you know, start to break through and really break through and then then really, really break through was so crazy you know people ask how how has this changed you and when we got that when it kind of blew up in like 89 i remember getting asked questions i'd never been asked before how does this change you and i thought about it how's it changed me well it must change me everybody's asking me the same question right and i realized it didn't change me it's changed how people respond to me and all of a sudden i i I noticed i had a lot more friends suddenly and my jokes were were funnier you know i was Suddenly better looking because, you know, I was like, I was getting, you know, hit on. I'm like, well, it's kind of probably out of my league over there. Uh, oh, it's because I'm in this band, you know, and they set yeah. us up on the thing and we're on, TV, we're on MTV and with all that stuff. Like, it's kind of lonely, you know, like so when you realize that it's kind of like, oh, shit. Did you ever, ever have a period where you were like worked it a little bit, like, no. you know, took advantage of it? in any way not my style it's not really not my style to this day you know yeah no but i i I really kind of went back i have my best friends i grew up with and they're still my best friends we have our text group we've been through it you know one of my buddies was strung out on heroin for you know 14 years and like all of us has an interesting story you know and we've been through it together and so it's it's really nice to have, so I kind of reverted when all that kind of stuff I just I just hung yeah. on to my my buddies I'm like uh, is this kind of weird you guys you know like so um, deep it was a deep band you know like yeah if you listen to like uh, Paradise City the the Captain America's got a broken heart you know it's like it's deep it's heavy shit you know Brownstone about getting strung out on heroin you know yeah like it's not your average you know. Uh, Hey, hey, rock and roll. You know, it's like the, the right. subject matter is kind of deep. Yeah. And I, I always thought it was interesting that so much was made about Guns N' Roses being so wild and Hellraisers. And, but it's pretty obvious that you guys were extremely driven. Yeah. And I know that, you know, you, you uh, went back to school, you studied business. And, but even back in the day when you guys were first offered contracts, you know, before you're even offered full record deals, you were turning stuff down because you you knew, you know, that like this this isn't good enough for us, and you held out, which it must be so hard to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got offered ten thousand bucks for the rights to Sweet Child of Mine. You know, like ten thousand dollars when you're starving. Literally, you're not. You know, 
we were working like phone sales jobs and stuff and paying for a rehearsal place and had days when you just couldn't even afford the uh, top ramen, you know? Yeah. Like 10,000 bucks is like, we're rich. But if it, we just thought if, and it was for, the guy was smart. It was a, he knew, he welcomed the jungle. He saw us playing it in the clubs. He's like, I'll offer you 10 grand yeah. for publishing on that. We didn't know what publishing wow. really meant. Yeah. But if it's worth $10,000 to him, it's got to be worth that to us, at least. And then we got offered a publishing deal. And this is after we got signed. 200000 Well, if it's worth 200000 I mean, that's like $5 bajillion to us at that point. Yeah. But if it's worth that much to them, we don't really know what publishing is or how it works. It's got to be worth that to us. You know, why give it to them? So we were kind of like a little street gang and... When we started making money, even like <laughs> we, get, we got accountants, you have to get accountants. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is that? You know, <laughs> we're, we're all smart. We're a smart guy. We're, we're like, yeah, yeah, but also very driven. Just, you know, it's like everyone kind of thinks of you guys as like hard partying, you know, true. don't give a fuck, like all that. And that, I mean, I'm sure that that's true too, but you're also very driven. Yeah. Nobody rehearsed more than us. Nobody worked harder, you know, like, and still, like when we when we go out and tour, you know, yeah. even though we just did, we're going to rehearse for six weeks, you know, six days a week, not just going and fuck around and talk because we put you put the inners in and we're playing and we play for hours. So in those early sessions, when you um, in that era when Guns was looking for a producer and you met with a bunch of different people trying to find the right fit, how did those early songwriting sessions work? Because I've heard you say it was pretty collaborative. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, coming up with the music and then finding a producer later, that two different things. We were done uh, with Appetite plus other songs. By the time we started looking for a producer, we knew our songs well enough that we didn't want a producer who would get into the songs. We didn't want somebody touching a note. Yeah. We're not going to touch a note. We want it to sound like we sound in our little rehearsal because it sounded fucking great. Yeah. So, um, but we went to, you know, like, um, there was, there was like Mutt Lang who'd done Back in Black and stuff. And like, I mean, that's a great dry sounding record, you know, but he was to get him. He was more than just a walk in the room with more than we got 250 grand to make our first record. Yeah. And that would have to pay for, you know, that's an including an advance to us so we could live stop our jobs it's an amazing day but we'd written songs we had this play. a lot of times we write on acoustic guitars because that's all we had and the night train was written on acoustic guitar and we'd go out like i remember that in particular we'd drink the, the night train you know yeah. this this cheap booze it was like i don't know dollar 27 cents a mm -hmm. bottle and we were going to go out and flyer for a gig that yeah. night, which is something we would go out and do together, you know. At least a couple of us go, this night we were going out as a band, we are going to cover a wow. whole area, and you walk, you know. You got your bucket of paste, and you got your flyers, and you And we just kept singing this, the, the, the chorus for Night Train, and because we kind of written, we were, all got together, I think, at Izzy's apartment beforehand, and came up with the genesis of that, and we were singing it. Because you, we didn't have phones and shit to record stuff. Yeah. So you'd have to remember what you wrote. So a lot of times you just go around singing it. 
But we we landed on some really cool shit. You know, I remember like landing on the notes for Michelle. And it just killed it. We just played that riff for hours, you know. And then you have to come up with other bits. And so bits and pieces. Who came up with the whistle in Paradise City? Axel, I think. I think he got, had a whistle, like a necklace, you know, like this cool whistle. You know, you use the stuff that's around you yeah. <laughs> when you're making a record on budget. One of the songs has like a whatever that thing is really called. But we used a comb and wax paper for that. <laughs> like we need that sound that's like in 70s cop, you know, TV shows. So you use what's around you. And, and but finding a producer, you know, we found Mike Clink after, you know, we, we sat with Paul Stanley. You know, just because, like, what wow, Paul Stanley from Kiss. If nothing else, like, he came at Raji's and sat and watched us, you know? You know, that's a dirty show. And then he came to have a, a meeting with us about producing the record. It, it wasn't the right fit. We could tell when we were talking about uh, music. He, his idea of what it should be and our idea was different. But that was fine, you know? Yeah, but again, it's like another instance where you guys are um, confident in your sound where you can say no to somebody like that. Well, we just knew. And we knew we were at the age that we should know, right? Like whatever was going to be next in rock was going to be on our shoulders. And somebody who was maybe wasn't with us through the whole thing, who understood it completely, they just wouldn't understand it. You know, we just wanted microphones up against our amps and around the drums and capture Axel, you know? Yeah. And we had these backing vocals that we wanted to really like, you know, if you listen to the appetite, the backing vocals are like such a big part of it. You know, we wanted that to yeah. be a thing. But Mike Flint came in, we, we, he didn't really want to sit down and talk too much. He said, well, why don't I come down and record you guys? I got a like eight track reel to reel. Okay. And he came set up some mics and then recorded us and then then played it back for us. And, you know, I had a little setup to play it back. And it sounds fucking killer, Mike. Because, <laughs> well, that's all we need to do is just capture, you know, it's like the mic through the cord and then through the board onto the tape. That's what all we're trying to do. He wanted to catch the purest form of that. And like, okay, great. So we, we, we tried some, some tracks with an expensive proffer. And that's actually where we made the live like a suicide EP was at Spencer Proffer's studio where we had a day to ourselves and we just <laughs> we had an engineer there and we made the live like a suicide record. It's not actually live. That's why there's a question mark and all that stuff. Oh, okay. We weren't a big band. The joke is we weren't big enough to have a big audience. Our audiences were like twelve people at that point. Then you hear this roar. They had the Texas Jam audience. Uh live from the Texas Jam was like all these huge bands. And we're like, let's yeah. use that audience. Oh my God. So you hear like the loud roars and, and the firecrackers. We just lit firecrackers off in the studio, you know. But we, we got, um, you know, we, we tried out different producers. And then you worked with um, Dan McCafferty? Dan McCafferty from Nazareth. Yeah. Those records just sound great. I mean, oh, it's the precursor to ACDC and, 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 to that cult electric record, you know, it's like very dry, just in your face recording. And they 
So we tracked down and we, we did get 29 songs recorded at Sound City. You can hear them. They're on Spotify. Yeah, there's a box that we put out. We finally put those songs out. 27 songs, whatever it was. All the covers we did, Heartbreak Hotel by Elvis and all this stuff. But landing on Mike, you know, he just was just need to capture you guys. And when he got into that Rumbo recorders, he was really good at like kind of corralling us. Like, okay. We we do a take. I mean, there's only I mean, I, I think all of that record is first, second, or third takes of every song. We we were we played all the time. You know, we didn't need to yeah. do nineteen takes of anything. And Steven was was crushing it then, so we didn't need to get like we don't got the drum take yet. We'd have it, you know. So uh and Mike was really good at like we had headphones on, first time kind of using headphones and all that stuff. Yeah. And he knew it was all kind of alien to us. And he'd come on the thing and talk to them. All right, guys, it's time to dig in. This is the one, you know. He'd let us get one out, you know. And maybe we'd use yeah. that first one. But he'd say, okay, guys, dig in. And he had this kind of voice in a way about him, very gentle. Never, he never got out of, you know, he was just, he's always just been this gentle guy. All right, guys, it's, it's time to dig in. When Mike, you said that you knew like somebody's fucking around too much or something. All right, we're gonna we'll dig in. We'll dig in for Focus. you. Focus. Yeah. And were you guys doing overdubs and stuff, or was it just all one take? Bass and drums are pretty much one. Yeah, one take through that stuff. Slash understood that he could put his guitars on again. So he when we were doing they're called basic tracks. He drank like a a fiend, and so. He, I, I wish we could get outtakes of that his guitars. We'd have to turn it off because he was so out. He was so hammered, you know. Like Slash, we're trying to get basic tracks here. He'd be laughing and stuff, and like. <laughs> so he did. I, I think probably kept some of his guitars and Izzy's guitars on the, on those basic tracks because everything was isolated. If it was a good right. take and it sounded good, like why do it again? So Slash would be like noodling and like jamming and just like going off. The script, basically. Yeah, follow yeah. the ground. Like, dude, we're trying to get basic <laughs> tracks over here. And and Axel would sing with us in all the ba- basic tracks. He had a little booth. Because we're used to playing as a band, right? So Right. And we always did that, even with yeah, all the user illusion stuff, you know, played everything as a band. And, and anything that was good enough for take, because you want that, you know, first take in rock and roll, right? If you can get it. And was there more tinkering with the lyrics or were those kind of locked by then? In, in on Appetite? There was no tinkering. Yeah. No, everything was done. Very everything cool. was absolutely done. Slash guitar solos. He had written those, you know, everything was done. It's just a matter of capturing it on tape. We're going to pause one last time for a quick break and then come back with the rest of Leah's conversation with Duff McKagan. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. 
Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Here's the rest of Leah Rose's conversation with Duff McKagan. You've been in so many bands. Before you even moved to L.A., you had been in probably eight bands. Eight, yeah, bands. Yeah, I've been in a lot more than that, but yeah. I love in the documentary where you're just naming the names of all the bands you've been in, like the farts and the... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, um, Seattle had a great music scene. It's just, unfortunately, like heroin came in about 83 and I was left I didn't want to move someplace I was playing with all these great people there was I was like one person away in every band like from the band being really fucking good you know as you know like Seattle scene took off only a couple years later you know Soundgarden stuff like that was all there it was just in my group there was just everybody was strung out and it was time to go if I wanted to do this, it was time to get out. Once the Seattle sound was established and did take off, you know, with Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Nirvana, what did you think of that sound? I was super proud, you know, super proud. I was on the, you know, so Bruce Pavitt from Sub Pop, him and I worked at the same restaurant and he had Sub Pop the column in this newspaper uh-huh. called, called The Rocket. So it kind of opened, that's how you got information. You know, you're not old enough to remember any of this stuff, but Maximum Rock and Roll was a fanzine that would have the scene report. So that's how you found out what was going on in Chicago, Washington, D.C., Dallas, whatever, you know, you'd read about it. And he had sort of that column in, in it was called The Rocket in Seattle, music newspaper. And then he was about to put out his first sub, sub pop single. Like, oh, well, that's a good idea. Named oh. after your column. It's a great idea. And it was the U-Man, I think, was the first band. 
but that was right in when I was getting to leave. So he picked up steam. And then my, my friend Kim, she from Fastback, she went to go work for Sub Pop. Like they were hiring employees, you know, like, holy shit. Wow. And I was put on the yeah. Sub Pop singles club. So I got all, I had got, you know, a Tad single and, the, you know, all this, the early shit. And I was really, really happy about it. Went and saw Soundgarden like, when they came and played here in 80. What'd you think of Soundgarden? I mean, it's great. I knew Kim and I knew Chris. And Ben was around. I knew Ben a little bit. So I, they're great. You know, they're not trying to write pop radio song. Yeah. They, they're doing it for them. You know, I love those kinds yeah. of bands, you know. And Pearl Jam came down and played the Cat House. So I knew Stone and Jeff from before. And I got and played with them at the Cat House. I played drums. We did Sonic Reducer. And Nirvana, they were on Geffen. I mean, that, you know, the Nevermind record was like I wore out the cassette before the record even came out. I was so surprised. In your book, you talked about a little bit. You alluded to the, um, the like, scuffle that happened at backstage at the MTV Music Awards between Nirvana and Guns N' Roses. And I imagine you being the peacemaker because you're from Seattle but you're the one who actually got into the fight. Yeah, because I was just like, that, well, okay. So that thing was really a non, it's a story because the bands were so bad yeah. at the time. But if you were there, you'd be like, it's really a non-story, you know? Okay, yeah. But Kurt Loder was around. And Kurt Loder, at a time before there was social media, he loved the tea, man. And he loved yeah. to stir the pot. And he's the one who really got that thing going, you know? Interesting. As far as it went, it was all a really a Kurt Loader, as I see it. Because it was like, there was, not, there was no there there. We wanted them to go on tour with us, like all that stuff, you oh. know? We'd had Soundgarden out and Faith No More out. You know, we, we got bands yeah. that we liked to, to go tour with us. And seeing Chris Novoselic, you know, I'm a tall guy. But seeing Chris, I was like, I'm so glad I didn't get in a fight with you, Chris. <laughs> he's a fucking he's huge yeah but just because he's tall doesn't mean i know but you, you know. know i feel like you could take him um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there was no there there and, and you know i was really but back to seattle bands i mean allison chains and fuck everybody yeah. was so mother love bone you know that was the first like fuck and i knew andy wood great and greg yeah. gilmore the drummer was in my band, Tenement Warning, you know, and The Living. Right. I'm the one who found him from a gig harbor from this ad that he had and brought him up to Seattle. And uh, So I was like, it's happening. You know, we knew all the yeah. talent was there. I had to bail. Why did you leave, though? Because everybody around me was strung out. From my roommate, who was one of my best friends, one of the guys, I told you, strung out in heroin for 14 years. My band, Tenement Warning, like we were... We toured with Black Flag, Ted Kennedy's. We were on our way up. We were on our way there, you know. Heroin came into that band, tore it apart. It, heartbreaking. My girlfriend, yeah. you know, like everybody around me. A, a friend of mine who was strung out came. He's like, dude, Duff, you got to get out. Man. We're all, you know, you're like all our best hope. I'm like, you're right. I got to go. And that was it. I sold gear i had a job you know like i had like 340 bucks you know after selling my you know so it's like okay i'm gonna go so was the ambition to go to la to 
get in a successful band or just continue to play music? I wanted to find, like I said, I've been in bands where there's always one missing link. I, I was on the search for, for my band that didn't have a missing link. How I was going to do it, I don't know. You know, like, doesn't matter. That wasn't the part. It's going to get done. And, uh, you know, then meeting Slash and Steven through the ad and the recycler and Easy moving across the street from me and meeting yeah. Axel. You know, like one thing led to another. I had uh, Ron Rays from Black Flag was, was my good buddy. You know, he was down here. That's so cool. Yeah. He, so I had, a, you know, like a friend. Um, I got a job right away. One thing led to another. You know, we, we yeah. found the band that had the right guys in. Hey, about eight months after, I was thinking it's the first time the, um, the five of us got in a room together. About eight months after mm-hmm. I got here. So, and once you got that right band, like nobody can, you know, like for me, we're going. It doesn't matter. You starve, you can do all that shit, but we're going, we got the right guys, you know. When was the first time you heard Axel sing? What was your impression? So, yeah, so Izzy and he were playing with these two other guys. They were trying it out. And it was uh, another guitar player, great guitar player, another drummer, really good drummer. And they asked me to come play with them. And it was out in the valley. They got a, you know, and by the hour rehearsal place, like four bucks. They knew the guy that owned it, so it was like four bucks an hour. And we had it for three hours, you know what I mean? And... Drummer had his stuff up there, and guitar player had his amps, and Izzy, Izzy's more like the Thunders guy, so he had like a, you know, and uh, Axel got on to, like, to check out the PA, and I'm telling you, it was like, what the fuck is happening here? And he just kind of did the scream, and there was, he has, he still has this thing where it's a double voice, like it's a low and a high yeah. at the same time, but I was just like, holy fuck. Now, the other two guys, we played some gigs as that band, and I was just like, mm, he's amazing. That's it. Izzy's cool as fuck, you know? Other two guys, and so we booked this little punk rock tour. I had all the punk rock yeah. clubs I played, right? And you had the phone I numbers, and you'd go to the phone booths, and you'd book your little tour. And uh, these other two guys were like, what do you mean? Where are we going to, how are we going to, where are we going to stay, man? And Izzy and I and Axel were like, you know, they, they knew about punk rock houses and stuff. You can always find a place to crash, even if it's at the club. But it doesn't matter. We have, we have the gigs. We'll figure out yeah. all the rest. And the other two guys just were like, we're not leaving. You know, like, <laughs> what do you mean? So that's when the Slash and Steven came in. And the, and the, the moment the five of us in the room was like, oh, here it is. Here it is. It was kind of amazing. Yeah. So you went on that first tour and then car breaks down. You end up in an onion field, starving, eating raw onions. Yeah, the onion fields. like, And that book, I think it just come out a few years earlier, that book, The Onion Fields. You know about that? About the serial no. killer up in Bakersfield. Oh, no. Yeah, the book's called, I think it was a movie too, The Onion Fields. Oh. Yeah. Right. We're in the onion fields, man. Yeah. But imagine trying to hitchhike, you know, five guys with their guitars. Like, looking like us. Yeah. We made it to the first yeah. show, you know. We opened up for the Fast Facts and used their gear. and We were we were awful. There was three people there. But now, of course, in Seattle, in lore, like, everybody says they're at the gig. I'm like, that's impossible. Really? You know that? Because the three people that were there were in the Fast Facts. Oh. Oh, I want to ask you. So, you come from a big family. You're youngest of eight kids. What was your house like 
Was it a loud house? Like, I mean, but if you grow up in it, you don't realize it is. But fuck right. yeah. You know, I mean, there's always something going on. And there was instruments around. So, you know, the way I learned to play was like, my older brother would say, keep time, you know, on the drums. You'd see somebody else do it, one of the older kids, you wanted to be as cool as them. Yeah. So you, luckily I had some, you know, musical ability innately ready to go, you know. So I was able to keep time. Yeah. And my brother showed me three chords on a, on a, on a guitar, played these three chords in your feet. You know, first time you're playing, your fingers are like hurting oh, yeah. and bleeding and shit. And like, but you, the older kids, you don't want to, you know. And then he taught me today is your birthday on the bass. And we went and played this for some school kids or something. But you know, I learned that and I played it. And, and it, really, that that's the blues major scale. So I really learned like the right shit four four time, you know, blues major scale, G, A and D chords. On, on What more do you need to know to this day? You know, I'm on, on Lighthouse. I mean, G, G, A and D is featured pretty prevalently on in my songwriting you know you can do a lot with those chords but yeah you know and then playing like i played team sports played baseball as a kid okay. played football played basketball and i kind of i had some good coaches when i was young played for the city leagues you know oh, that's cool yeah and, and they really like i i learned a lot about like having playing your part like on a team right mm-hmm you know, you're a linebacker. You, you, you're line. You're not the running back. You're not the safety. You're, you're. This is your domain. Be great at it. You know. Speaking of playing your part, have you ever been in a position, or have you ever had the desire to want to be the front person when you are playing, either like guitar or bass? Like, are you always happy being in that position, or have you ever wanted more attention? I think it's because of the way I grew up. Never got into music, like, to get the chicks, to get the drug, you know, all the stuff they say. It was always about, like, I really wanted, like, that team. I wanted to find that great band where everybody played their part in it and, and like, kind of was great at their place in the band. And that's all I was ever looking for. Like, doing my, my own records, I love doing it. It's fun. It's fun being a singer. It's more like... My yeah. gigs are more like book readings, you know, mm-hmm. kind of more like it's, uh, I'm telling stories in my songs. I'm telling stories. And I talk between a little bit, you know, it's just more of like this other thing. And I'm not being, I'm not trying to be anything I'm not. Yeah. So no, I never, I played with people in bands that wanted to be the singer. And that, yeah. that's a cancer. Like it's just like, just percolating the whole time. It's like, I never, you know, never had that. I love when, I, when I'm a bass player. I mean, I, that, that's what I do. I play and yeah. I want to sing the best backing vocals. I'm going to be the best background vocalist there is in my range, you know. So that's what I strive to do. And I love it. Uh, and when I have a good gig, it's like, fuck yeah, you know. Since you've been in so many different bands, you've seen so many bands play who in your opinion is the best lead singer of all time like checks every box i mean you have to put axel just from what i've seen him do over all these years what he does and how hard he works at it his hour and a half warm-ups and hour and a half warm downs 
and where he has to push and we play a lot of shows you know yeah he's a master i've learned so much from him singing so much what are some things that you've learned really kind of dynamically hard to push where to push from in your body you know how to tilt when you need mm -hmm. an extra vowel and really like particular shit next you need some more a in your vowel you know how to mm -hmm. tilt you know and just minutia of how to do it because it's all minutia you know it's from note to note to note to note so people i played with he's you know i'm in a band with him so of course i'm gonna like He's my guy, you know. Uh, I think he's just a master and just a fucking hard worker. I mean, I've seen Robin Sanders, amazing, you know. You see guys like that, or Ann Wilson, come on. I don't know if you've seen her. <laughs> Jesus Lord. Like, she has to hold the mic this far away from her, you know. Just like, okay, Ann. Just pure, pure singer. William and Allison Chains, like, Jesus Christ, like, but I also like, you know, Henry and Black Flag, you know? It's yeah. just, I like the real people, you know? Yeah. The real thing. Do you find yourself now that you're getting older that you're listening to slower music? Can you listen to punk rock still? We don't listen to a lot of punk rock. We, like, we listen to New Wave a ton. Yeah. We have a couple stations that we, we have, like, this, it's called Tune In, and they play, like, a lot of, you know, Gang of Four and, Stranglers and, and Duran Duran and all that stuff. So that I oh. like all the instrumentation and a lot of that stuff. Really uh, unique instrumentation. And um, I'll listen to punk rock. I mean, th it depends. I like, some, you know, some new band. I really like The Garden. They're not that new anymore, but do you know that band, The Garden? No, I don't. Oh, oh yeah. Really, these twin boys. And uh, their dad was ready for X forever. They're really, really unique and, and super cool and great live. Oh, cool. Yeah, who else? I always like to ask people what they're listening to. Who else are you listening to? Or what else are you loving? doesn't have to be new. Yeah, I, I mean, I can, not, nepotism, I guess, is, is real. But my, my daughter, Grace, is fucking amazing. Like, she keeps coming up with another new song. Like, and we're just talking to, we went, had dinner the other night with Shooter Jennings, who did my last record. And he's like, man, we have to get Grace out there somehow <laughs> wow i agree but i'm her dad you know i can't really i'm in guns and roses you know like i can't she never asked me for my help and i don't want to be like come check out yeah. my daughter. but she's rad she's rad but young she's turned us on to like the garden and turnstiles a great young punk have you heard of them yeah i've heard of them they're from new jersey or baltimore and they're they're really they do it right are you working on new music now? What What's next after... You said you're going to go on tour. Yeah, I have another 82 songs. Good. So the well is still flowing. It's flowing, <laughs> man. I, and I don't I don't want to question it. Whether you think the music's good or bad, it, it, I have, like, songs. And they're, they're, they're coming. I'm really proud of Lighthouse. I'm really proud of those songs we chose for that record. There was, there was a lot more to choose from. We decided to do this to tell yeah. a little story of like a beginning to end and the hope in the middle and the, you know, I just don't know at the end. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That song's very, very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for other questions. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it was great. Okay, cool. 
Thanks to Duff McKagan for talking to us at Broken Record about his new album, Lighthouse, and about Guns N' Roses. You can hear a playlist of all of our favorite songs Stuff McKagan's ever played on on a playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast where you can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced and edited by Leah Rose with marketing help from Eric Sandler and Jordan McMillan. Our engineer is Ben Tolliday. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and ad-free listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you like this show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Hello, hello, Malcolm Gladwell here. Are you a fan of true crime podcasts? How about investigative reporting from award-winning journalists? If you are, then you'll want to tune in to the new content coming from Pushkin this summer that you can listen to early and ad-free. Our team has exciting new seasons from podcasts like Deep Cover, The Nameless Man, from Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Jake Halpern, and Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock, the story of the woman behind painter Jackson Pollock's fame. Plus a new season of Lost Hills, Dark Canyon, which investigates the dark side of Malibu, California. And a brand new show coming in July called Where's Dia? About the sudden vanishing of a millionaire widow in California. You won't want to miss Pushkin's True Crime Spree coming this summer. And if you want to binge these shows early and ad-free, you can hear all of Pushkin's content by becoming a Pushkin Plus subscriber. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or by visiting pushkin.fm slash plus.